0: Welcome to the Beyond High Performance podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses.
1: I did this alone for A while and the difference is night and day it's absolutely a 180 it is so much more robust of an experience that we get to provide for the clients which ups my confidence personally to go out and create with executives with teams with people knowing there's a whole team of us that that i can trust to go alongside
2: Welcome to another episode of On Coaching. Today we'll dive into conflict resolution and how to lead others and ourselves from a place of disconnection and frustration to a place of service and connection with our teams. We believe that coaching teams towards an aligned vision will result in connection, productivity, and ultimately an increased satisfaction in the workplace and beyond. I'm Dan Leflar. I'm glad you're here, enjoy the show. Well, hey everybody, we're uh, excited to be here with you. We have uh, four coaches on this podcast, myself included. uh, John Roberts, a partner with Novus Global, very talented coach. Amanda Jaggard, who's also uh, a partner in our firm, very talented coach. And Chris North is also a partner in our firm. And so I'm excited to have a conversation. Each one of us has spent a lot of time working in uh, the corporate space, uh, coaching teams and leaders of teams. And uh, we want to we want to dive into the nitty gritty details, maybe give you some some tips, some uh, insight into what it's like working with teams. What are some of the difficult things that happen in organizations and how coaching can address some of those specific things? So really quickly, guys, why why don't let's just start off with this question. Do you enjoy working uh, with teams, coaching with teams? We'll start right there. Like, what what's the experience like when you're working with teams and is it something you you like doing?
1: Well, you know, I have a little bit of an allergic reaction to a yes or no question. oftentimes it's like when do I love working with teams? Yeah uh, versus do I? And the answer is is actually, Yes. And then there are times when uh, when it's like, oh, this is really challenging or this is not, not as enjoyable. So I think it's almost even more fun. What probably unfold as a good conversation is is when do we love working with teams? Why? Uh, what is it about teams that, that we just really gravitate towards? Or what is it about us that teams tend to gravitate towards? That might be a fun conversation as well. But I do. I do love working with teams. I think it's a lot of fun.
2: <laughs> well, and actually, Chris, why don't we start with you? Because you... Sure. Before coming to coaching, you ran teams and led teams. And so I'm curious, you in your experience of leading teams and then experiencing coaching work, what are some of the parallels that you saw kind of immediately or some of the connections that you, you've you experienced as you've led teams and then also been a coach in teams?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's fun to be on both sides to not not like just the coaching side uh, and being on the on the teams being coached side, but the one of the things... That I think I have a unique perspective on is actually leading the team and then also yeah. being on a team that's being led. What's interesting that those are two oftentimes extremely different perspectives. John probably talks more about alignment than anybody else I know of, and that is a huge issue so much of the time, even like being on the being the the leader of the team and thinking like everybody's with me. Everybody understands what the vision is. We know what we're doing. We know why we're here. And then you start to peel back the layers a little bit and start to understand, oh that's not why this person is here this is this person doesn't have alignment on the vision they're not they're here for a very different reason Mm. uh and then likewise too i've been on the on the other side where i've been led by people where it's like oh once i get really clear like that's what they're up to that's why they're here that's what their vision is uh this is where this thing is going and i'm not aligned with that i'm not here for that there's not room for me on this team long term and then and Things tend to turn over pretty quickly, then. So, yeah, having a having that experience being being led on a team and then also leading teams has has been really, I think, instrumental in helping just understand just from a base level of understanding when I'm talking to, to somebody either leading a team or somebody who's on a team, just understanding where they're coming from and and what their perspectives are, what their potentially conflicting visions are, uh, that oftentimes are hiding under the surface and don't actually get. Uh, sussed out until they start having these conversations. Teams like us. So
2: when people come to have conversations with coaches, especially leaders, and I think we've all worked on teams. So I think most people listening will have an experience of dysfunctional teams or functional teams. What are some of those initial conversations like, you guys, that that you encounter when you're talking to a leader? They're coming into coaching. They're trying to they're trying to make the most out of that that resource. What are some of the, the typical conversations? Where do we usually start?
3: It's an interesting question because it's <laughs> where do we normally jump into that conversation with a leader? I can tell you where the leader wants to jump in. The leader wants to jump in and they're, they're a leader for a reason. They're very smart. They're very intelligent. They generally hop on a call and they tell me all of their problems and they are very <laughs> sure that these are their problems if only my team was doing this, if only people would do this, if only they would complain less, if only they would do this. And I think if we often, we all work with teams, when we go to the teams, it's a flip side of that conversation. If only leadership did this, if only this was happening. And so what I love about the, the role we get to do, what I love about it, and it's not exactly easy, because A lot of what we do is offering people an alternative reality. (laughs) Hey leader, I get that you're incredibly smart and brilliant. Are you open to those problems? Might not be the most important problems. And when leaders start to consider, oh, there might be things that I'm doing uh, in my own life and in my own leadership that is creating the system when Chris mentioned alignment. One of my favorite things is walking into either an individual leader or a group of people and telling them everything is fine. Everything is fine. The system's working exactly the way everyone wants it to. Nobody's bad. Everyone is acting in the way that we know to create a result. And then it's hilarious when they give the complaints. It's perfect. so We love that because it's now we get a different result. We want something else than we're getting. So who would we need to become? Hey leader, who would you need to become? Hey individuals, who would you need to become? Often the first place where we start is, can we all find an aligned vision? If we can't find an aligned vision, it doesn't matter how much growth, how much development, how many great tips, tricks, you know, efficiencies that we have, it's probably not gonna work. I'll, I'll pitch it over to Amanda cause she was agreeing with
2: a few of the things that I was saying. Or disagreeing, go ahead Amanda. <laughs>
4: Dan, to your earlier question, you're like, do we love it? What do we love about it? And I think it is that system's perspective. To to John's point, it's like the system is working the way that everybody in the system wants it to. So, like, you have my mind goes to like marriage and family therapy, where like you don't just bring in the problem child to do therapy with or to have a conversation with. Like usually. Um, you also want to bring in the parents and you want to bring in the siblings because you know that there's yeah. a system that is working for everyone. And so I think that's what I love about the team and because you really get to look at it as a system and have everyone take ownership for the part that they are playing in the system. And when you have everyone like occurring that way to each other and doing what they are committed to do in that ownership of the system – you begin to move really really fast which is really fun to see
2: did you have any uh, i'm just thinking of specific cases where we've we've done a lot actually the four of us have done a lot of work in teams and coached uh, larger organizations and so i'm just there's a few things that come up to me right in my head right away is uh, what's it like when i start having a conversation with a client individually in the organization and they have all these complaints like john was talking about and they have all these concerns that are directly impacting them and often they're not having conversations with other people who can do something about it. Usually they're having conversations with people at their level who can't really do anything about it. And the, the, yeah. those like chronic complaints that, hey, you know, executives or the C suite don't see this or they don't understand these, these parts of the organization and what's going on. And so as a coach, one of the challenges that, that I experienced early on uh, in the corporate space with teams is hey, there's often a lack of certain conversations going on. That's driving a lot of the issues yeah. underground, and then it kind of comes out in these coaching yeah. conversations. I'm just curious about each of your experiences. Like, does that ring true for you? Has that been the experience as you began coaching with with people in teams, and then how do you navigate that, Chris? I'm curious. You were nodding your head there.
1: Yeah, you know, I heard the question. I wanted to answer, and so <laughs> you know, go for I, it. As an example, one thing specifically is coming to mind, and this happens pretty often, where. There's people who are either partners or are interdepartmental. They're working closely. They're they're at the director level or something where they're where they're equals. And there is a lot of pain and resentment. And the longer that somebody is working together, oftentimes the more that that happens. And those issues tend to go underground simply because there's not a an opportunity to bring them out, drag them into the light, really, really share them with each other and have somebody there to actually walk through what the conflicts look like. So the conflicts, like Daniel, what you're saying, they go underground. It's like the conflicts are existing, whether we're having the conversation about them or not. And so they're just not being dealt with. So when oftentimes, when they do get brought out, it's typically through somebody's resignation or a blow up or something like that, where if we can catch that stuff early, and this is where it comes into even like when I'm thinking of like ROI on what it takes to replace an executive level person and going like, if we can start saving the attrition rates of of companies, like this is one of the ways to do that is like pulling out different conflicts that are existing with somebody, giving them a space to actually give air to them, not in a a defensive or really in a curious manner with the other people, with a third party, Mm -hmm. like conflict resolution is one of my favorite parts about what we do. Conflict resolution is a great place to start. And conflict prevention is is kind of what we end up helping companies with, I think, at least on like one of my favorite pieces of what we do is that. So I don't know if anybody else has that same bent uh, or if I even answered the question, but.
2: What I'm hearing you say is like, The coaching work actually nips some of these things in the bud as you step into it, John. Sorry. Yeah, it
3: does. I mean, Dan, I don't know how much this relates to your earlier question. I think it relates, and I think it relates to what Chris was saying. The word to me is clarity. Often we come in... And the system is what it is. And then everyone has complaints. And the big question for me is, okay, do we want to do something about it? And often the answer is no.
2: Like often the answer is yes. Yeah. It's an answer. It's not action, right?
3: Exactly. Exactly. And so once again, people are like, how do you do what you do? It's often we share notices, we ask questions, and then we stop doing anything. Because most of the time when we come into teams and individuals, they want us to do something. They want us to fix it. Often when people, Chris, when you were talking, when people leave companies, both factions use that to support their argument to be right. Right. I can't tell you how life-giving it is to be in a team and to invite the entire team leaders. And hey, being right has us squarely where we are. Could we be more committed to something else? And it's difficult. Like, I don't say it lightly. Like people, individuals, teams, leaders that choose to get clear, which I often find is one of the most uncomfortable things we could do. We know that as coaches, right? It's, we love not being clear, right? Because it's comfortable and we don't have to do anything. The choice to get clear, which often is what's happening. It's probably why Chris loves conflict, either prevention or resolution because humans living in clarity is such a gift. And often when people speak about, I wanna enjoy my life, I want a better work life, I want a more healthy environment. To me, I'm going, sweet, are you willing to get clear? Because this might not be the place for you. A lot of case studies are coming up. I recently had a CEO, he told me, hey, this is the type of CEO I wanna be, this is the type of company I wanna run. And I said, okay, I'm gonna hold you to that. And if you do that, things will happen. And in the next three months, it did not take long, within the next three months, this person started sharing his vision, taking action, moving towards it, and two people left. I got texts from the CEO saying, so-and-so just left, so-and-so just submitted their resignation. And it was so funny, my initial reaction was going to be the good-bad. Oh, you know, is this good, is this bad? And then, you know, I suppressed that because we're coaches, we learned it, we learned to do that. And then I said, you know, how are you relating to the event of the people leaving? And he said, it makes me a little nervous, but I think this is evidence that I'm moving in the right direction. People are either choosing to get in or get out. And now he's got a brand new vision to hire meta performance individuals to be a part of his team. Um and he's thrilled and so clarity Dan is the word coming to me when you when you ask that question and then when Chris shares what he shared
2: that's really really good Amanda I feel like you want to say something about that too
3: one of
4: the like conversations that consistently comes up like I think a complaint those results the KPIs are b- being put on me so they have mm. a very disempowered. Stance towards what their supervisor is saying. This is what I want for you to do. Like, this is the job description. And then gets more and more resentful as the bar gets raised. So, if we're just coaching the direct supervisor or the executive and they start raising the bar because they're wanting to accomplish great results, then the people who they're leading can sometimes get resentful. Is like, you want me to do what? And I'm already working this hard. You want, you want what? You want more from me? And so, I think the alignment, when people can align with that same vision and then not see that as something that is being put on them, but they actually want to achieve as well.
3: Well, Amanda, I'd love you to speak more of that because wouldn't you say that's an entire organization's openness to raising the bar, to elevating the bar. Amanda has a ton of experience in the very first 10% of people hearing this work, especially for big teams. And often what you just said, Amanda, is exactly what happens. Yep. We coach a leader within an org. They love it. Their life is radically changing. They're going, going, going. And then they assume, and then they, they show up to that coaching call and they're shocked when their team is like, we hate this, no. <laughs> and often they're like, they start hating the coach. Cause like, no, we don't like that person. He's making our life more difficult. And that's where Amanda gets to step in. And we all do but Amanda's one of our top trainers and she steps in front of this room. And Amanda, I would love for you to speak a little bit to when you're in front of that room, And these people are in the mindset of, don't you dare ask more for me. I'm already giving you enough. Don't you dare ask for more than me. And that to me is part of the magic of what we get to do. And Amanda, could you speak to that as you watch people from being, I'm not listening to you at all to, oh my gosh, by the end of two days, they're now rethinking their entire work and their lives
4: to not give like away like all the stuff that we that we do there is that ramp up but a huge part is inviting that curiosity. I think the other part like when we come in and we work with teams and organizations we'll say we're here to help you get twice as much done, which really freaks people out, half as much time with increased satisfaction. Sometimes I think even for me in my own life when I'm so in the weeds of how hard things are or how hard I'm working or how much I have to do or the stories of the past or the conflict, I don't see the larger vision and it absolutely isn't compelling to me. And so I think like just helping people to get their heads up for a second and look at what could be possible and that that actually might be really fun and to emotionally connect with it and then give tools with which then to to handle what's going on but it's amazing i think when you when you focus on that vision and what could be the little things kind of fall away because to your point, you get clear on what it is that, that you're committed to.
3: I think a great point for the leaders out there are, what question are you trying to answer as the leader of the organization? And then what question are all of your employees trying to answer? And we, we've done a lot of writing on this. Often a growth question is, what am I capable of? And often that's what the leaders we're working with will start asking. If your employees are asking, what's the bare minimum I can do, or how do I do what I did last year? That's a misalignment. And so often the work that we're doing is aligning. Hey guys, can we choose which question we want to answer? If somebody in your org is saying, Hey, I'm super clear. I want to do just enough to get by. I don't judge that person. I might invite them to notice, you know, the consequences of that in their life. But let's find them a company that also is looking for humans that are just wanting to do enough to get by and let's fit them up. Let's find that alignment. But that might not be in this org.
1: The other thing that I was thinking, even just to Amanda's point of, of how do you stand in front of a, a room full of people who don't want to be there oftentimes after the leaders had a great experience is like, I want to share this with everybody. And then they and then they do. And everybody kind of looks at us with side eye. It really is what's happening is is oftentimes the assumption of why we're there. And I think a lot of the leaders that bring us in are bringing us in because they're going, these are our all-star team. This is our the team that we're committed to, that we're excited about. Obviously, they're here for a reason, not necessarily a quote-unquote problem that is bigger than than the solutions that this person or individual or team is bringing. And so when we stand in front of a room, if it hasn't been effectively communicated that they are there because they're the all-star team, because they're the ones that are worth investing in, oftentimes we're going into an environment that is pensive or, or even hostile going like, why do we need coaching? Why do we need help? We're already doing well. We're even just in alignment on why they're there. And, and so, this is one of my favorite things to, to tell people is like, listen, there isn't a professional sports player on the planet who says, I don't need a coach. I'm good. That'd be an interesting player or an interesting dynamic or an interesting team for sure. And no one would disagree with this point. I, I don't, I, so far, I've been doing this years and no one said, yeah, if there was a professional sports team, just was like, you know what? We have all the best players in the world, so we don't need coaches anymore. <laughs> everyone would probably divest like that is not a, a team uh, it'd be interesting for sure but then we take that and we do it every single day in corporate environments and team developments and like there is what we really are looking for is like there's different levels of coaches for sure there's the little league coach and there's the pro ball coach what i wish if i could tell everybody that we step in front of a room to it's like you are here because you have been scouted we have seen you your leadership has gone like these are the people that we want to invest in these are the people that if they're if they could have some perspective and move some things just a little bit different we can really maximize what they're capable of and that's why we're there i think oftentimes that that message gets lost in translation before we stand in front of a group of people also individuals when we're working with individuals they too are like I, why why would i need a coach why would I? you know what you don't and are you a pro athlete or not in your specific role
2: what is the difference between our conversations with like when we go work with an individual versus a, somebody who's working in a team and what is the difference in the coaching conversation or even setting the stage for development growth how does that look different when you're working within a team context versus when you're talking to an individual individual client
3: my first response is it doesn't look very different. The content is not very different. The subjects aren't very different. It's probably more complex because instead of the clarity of one to one, you now have 50 different people having an experience on it so and then the last thing I'll say on it kind of goes back to I think one of the first things you said Dan which is why do you guys like why do you guys like working with teams one of the biggest differences is impact it's probably easier for me to talk to a leader one-to-one you get 50 people in a room the impact the exponential level of growth that is possible I think expands massively which is why I think the courageous act of a leader investing in their team before they know if it's going to work or not, I think that's an incredible thing, investing in the growth of the team, the exponential speed at which everyone can grow.
4: The difference that I see is around the gold ceiling of the outcomes. So when I'm working with an individual, what the results that they're choosing to create from our partnership are theirs and theirs alone. They are paying for it. They get to decide what they want to do. But when we're working with a team There is an authority structure that is there. And so I don't just get to coach them in whatever it is that they want to do. To John's point, there has to be alignment, not just what would thrill you, but what would thrill your supervisor? And I love that question because oftentimes it will reveal that misalignment and people don't even know what would thrill their supervisor, which is fascinating. That's the difference that I see.
3: For any leader listening to this, for any human listening to this, the question, what would thrill your supervisor? If you want to take this into your family or relationships, what would thrill your partner? What would thrill your spouse if you can't answer that? And in this moment, take an honest moment. Most of us probably can't answer it as well as we think we can. That is a million dollar question. And it's amazing how little we do of it.
2: Thank you, Amanda, for saying that because it's, and John, it's so powerful to slow down and recognize that part of the value of coaching in a company is becoming aware that most of the time we're spending time thinking about what would thrill us or what's working for us as an individual, mm-hmm. not what's working for the organization we're employed by, the people that we're working alongside. I don't think it comes from a bad place necessarily, but it we become isolated, siloed. And w- one of the huge values that I've seen as we've worked with companies is getting organizations of people and, and groups of people speaking about things and listening to each other around those key areas. Like what would throw my boss today? And sometimes there's a lot of resentment that's built up over time because that conversation hasn't happened. And so it's almost like the gears are all like really stuck and there needs to be some oil and some degreasing and all that stuff going on to to get the gears spinning again because we get stuck in those conversations. Well,
4: and sometimes people like don't agree. Like I don't agree. I don't think that my boss wants the right thing, which is a whole other interesting conversation just unearths all these beliefs that are going on we get to actually have conversations about it which is fun
1: to add to that is i think that most of the time we're talking in terms of a lot of like seeming potential like hard conversations or conflict i think at least in my experience i probably to all of us is it actually gets easier and easier once we actually begin to bring this stuff out like the oil is probably yes. a good metaphor man is it actually is the conversations that people really want to be having and want to have that clarity and understanding yeah. and alignment and almost always this is individuals and teams alike is almost always when you get to the point when you get past the okay what would thrill you great so now you've got what you want the all of your complaints are like now you've got your your life and your position and your whole thing right where you want it Now what? Almost inevitably, it begins to focus outward on the other. It always begins to focus outward on the other team or on the people that you're leading or the people that are leading you or the communities that you're a part of. Almost inevitably, once you get somebody to a point where they're taken care of, so to speak, their mind will go towards service and connection with the team. And so what we do is we just come in Mm -hmm. and help people get there faster so that Naturally, everybody's coming into work every day, having an outward mindset towards the other, towards the team, towards people below, above, and alongside them, including customers and clients and the whole thing. So to put a period on that conversation, I think it gets easier once we allow for those conversations. People naturally go there and really love it.
2: So let's say I'm a CEO or an executive or a team leader listening to this. And what I'm hearing is like, oh man, that sounds like so many conversations, so much work a lot <laughs> of stuff i don't want to deal with i don't have i don't have time to deal with it what would the response be to that person cuz i've been that guy i've been that guy who's thought i've led people i'm just curious what your take would be amanda on that somebody coming from that perspective listening to this
4: well i have two One is, you know, we create our own experience. So if you want it to be exhausting, go ahead and make it exhausting. And (laughs) they don't have to be such hard, tough, fierce, whatever conversations like just have an honest one. Cool. But like we don't have to necessarily bring in all of that emotional whatever to it, which I make up means the conversations are more fun to have, maybe easier to have, even if they are quote unquote hard. I think the other thing is a lot of times as a coach where we are encouraging people to have conversations because we don't want to triangulate and, and all of that. But there is an element to bringing in the cool uncle to kind of have some of those conversations. Like I have children, they have an uncle, and I can say things over and over and over. I can have the hardest of hardest of conversations, but as soon as he asks a question and says the same thing, it's like done. Or it is why I hired a coach for my kid. Um, I have an almost 16-year-old. So there is this piece of having somebody on the outside who isn't as emotionally involved, who isn't as emotionally connected to it, and that detachment that makes the conversation a little bit different when we're having it with someone kind of like how my kids have a cool uncle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The language around this is always interesting to me too, is, is we'll have lots of conversations with leaders who, or I will anyway, I'll speak for myself, Or like, these are hard conversations the team is going to have. And I was like, no, 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 no. Listen, these conversations are not hard. <laughs> they might be new to the organization. They might be new to you. They might be new to them, but they're not terribly okay. difficult. And the difference between having a hard conversation and, and a whole organization having new conversations, imagine what's possible when you have a whole organization of people having a totally new conversation with a new energy and focus focused outward on the other. That's like That's the kind of stuff where it's like, well, why do you, which becomes really oftentimes difficult for the for the client to quantify or qualify when they're talking to other people. It's like, well, what are the results you got? It's like, yes, we got results. The ROI was obvious. It's not just that. It's so much more than that. There's connection on the team. There's vulnerability on the team. There's people who are like, don't laugh or laughing. People who used to be at odds and did not see eye to eye and like cat fought each other in the office all the time. We're like, that's not happening now. It's like, this guy's getting along with that girl. I love it. It's a lot of fun. It is new. It's a whole new working environment. Framing it in terms of that is, I think is probably helpful for leaders as well.
3: If I could, and this is stylistically because we're all different coaches and we have different styles. Chris mentioned, you know, it's not hard. It doesn't have to be, it's not difficult. To me, that's challenging. If I'm working with a leader and they tell me something's hard, I try to not tell them that it's not hard, right? Because that's the experience mm-hmm. they're having. And I actually don't try to tell them that it's going to be easy or it is simple because that's how it's occurring to me. Maybe it's because I've done it so many times, maybe because this is my profession. I think something that we do is we say, how whatever you're doing right now, like Dan, to answer your original question, this is going to take so much time. I say, great. It's occurring to you that this new way, this new way that's uncomfortable because have never done it before, might take more time. And I will often go, how's your current system working out, right? Because I know that they originally came to me for something. And so I I think it's Aikido. Aikido is using the force of someone else rather than meeting the force with force. You almost accept it and transform the energy for those listening who maybe if that's not Aikido or something, I think that's (laughs) what that is. But I think it's beautiful because it invites someone to stop attacking something and instead to stop, slow down, notice where I'm already spending my time. Notice what are the results that are coming from it. And if I love the way that that's working, great. (laughs) Stop telling me you want change when it seems like you're really comfortable with that. But if you do want change, then I love moving into the exploratory to where we use words like, hey, it's new. We've never done it before especially with leaders. Because leaders, they get to this point where everyone thinks they have the answer, everyone thinks they should know it, they start to believe that they should know it. And I think it's why coaching is such a sacred space for the highest of performers, because they get to explore again. They get to say things again. They get to express emotions again. They get to actually open the box of all the fears and anxieties that they have suppressed. Because, hey, John, I can't touch that. You don't know what I have to do. And it's like, let's go there. Let's see what happens. And often from that, that's that new transformation, that new life that Chris ended up talking about.
2: So I'm glad you said that, John, because what came to my mind immediately, whenever anyone says, oh, you know, it's too much time or that seems like a lot of work, it's like, what's the cost of not doing that work? Like what what will continue to happen? Yeah. Like you just said, like what will continue to happen if you just keep going the way you're going? And often I find that's not very inspiring <laughs> for the leader to start t- connecting to and talking about. They're like, well, you know, it will, will grow 2%. There's a, well, that doesn't seem to create a lot of energy for you and your team. I want to pivot just really, I'm really curious because I'm just imagining an individual coach listening to this who's never worked, maybe has worked in the corporate space with teams. Here's the question I have. What's it like working in a team with teams? to even pull the curtain back a little bit, because many coaches who are, you know, solopreneuring, they don't work with lots of other coaches in organizations, whereas we do that. And so I'm curious, like, what is our experience? What is your experience in that? And what are some of the benefits of that? Maybe some of the misconceptions around some of those things? I'm, I'm curious what you think about that.
3: I would love to jump in first. This is probably my favorite thing about Novus Global. This is probably my favorite thing about getting to work with the brilliant coaches that are on this call, but also the entire roster of our coaches is the word trust. I have such... High trust when I'm working with the executive, the one on one leader, and this vision starts to grow and grow and grow. And the vision outgrows this leader, it outgrows me. I can't support, I can't coach all of these people. And so, I think what a lot of solo coaches do is they actually start to limit things so that their vision can still live but my vision as an individual coach is very small. I can only coach a certain amount of people. So then to have a roster of coaches that I trust, that I can look one of my executive clients in the face and go, they will do an incredible job. I know they will because I've seen it repeatedly getting results. It gives me so much confidence and the leaders, I can't tell you how they feel taken care of. They feel confident to step in because they're already making so many courageous actions to know that, hey, John has a roster of coaches behind him that are here to support, that are here to step in. To me, that's been my favorite part of working with other coaches in in the corporate space.
4: John, as you were talking, what came to mind is my mom has chronic pain. And so she'll have all these individual doctors, but they weren't actually talking to each other. And so she just went to the Mayo Clinic and it's like this team and they like meet in a boardroom and like look at her case and they talk about all the things and it's coming from this perspective and this perspective and this perspective and this perspective. And, this perspective. and I think that is what we do. So you look at the client as the company and the organization. And then you get all of these experts who have different perspectives and we all get in a room and talk about what's going on. um, What are we seeing? What do we notice? And that really is able to serve the client a whole lot better than just having one doctor's perspective of just what they're seeing based off of what they've seen before.
1: I would echo all of that. I'm not going to say anything new other than I don't know if clients and individuals working on teams realize how much we talk about them to serve them and talk about what's coming up for them. And even if, if I'm super confident that I have the right to answer, so to speak, or I can coach them into something, still bringing that into the team and getting new perspective on it is so incredibly helpful. But I did this alone for a while. And the difference is night and day. It's absolutely a 180 in terms of experience. So I I can probably speak to doing it alone versus doing it on a team. It is so much more robust of an experience that we get to provide for the clients, which ups my confidence personally to go out and create with executives, with teams, with people, knowing to John's point that there's a whole team of us that that I can trust to go alongside.
3: Yeah. I think also if you're a solo coach out there, And this is for everybody. Coaches were not perfect. We have not found the holy grail of self-awareness. Coaches get in their own way. Solo coaches can really get in their own way. And by being a part of a tribe, by being a part of a group of coaches... It is such a structural framework to keep us strong. We are constantly finding blind spot in our own vision, in our own work within the corporate structures. And we don't feel bad about it. We love it. Whenever I get to talk to my executive about a gap in one of the coaches that's working in the company, I'm excited about that. I, I don't feel shame over it. I'm going, thank goodness that we have these structures in place so that we find the gaps, so that we can upgrade to achieve whatever we're here trying to do.
2: I can't remember who said it, the old saying that community or groups of people are the ultimate personality test. I just want to draw a connection because just as working in a team, I've always found it ironic when a solopreneur or an individual is telling a team how to operate. (laughs) It's like, not that there's not good advice that could come from that, but it's like, hey, you're speaking as an individual to a group, a system that's, that's operating. And one of the advantages that I really see in the connections is, hey, what you all just said about being with each other and having those conversations increases the speed, increases the growth, increases the awareness that allows us to perform at a higher level, that allows us to increase the speed of efficiency with yeah. communication and delegation and trust and ultimately bottom line effect. And just like yeah. it does in our company uh, as a, a community of coaches, That's why teams are so powerful. And that's why I think we love working so much with organizations because that is also true there. It's about turning up the candor of conversations and the awareness of what's going on in people's heads to really create that speed. So that's my little soapbox for a second. We're gonna go around one more time. Final thoughts, just as we wrap up in the last five minutes, final thoughts around this topic and teams in general.
3: My final thoughts are, I love alignment. I love clarity everyone's fine. And everyone is capable of so much more. (laughs) If we could live as humans in that, I think that's human flourishing. And that's what I love to give to the world. I love human flourishing for individuals. I love it even more for companies and families and communities. And that's why I will do this work for the rest of my life. That was great, John.
4: The phrase that comes up for me that will say around like if you're leading anything like you're in the love business and it is this like what I want for someone, not what I want from them. The advocacy of a leader saying we're bringing in this coaching team, not because I want something from you, but because I want something for you. I want this to be the most impactful time of your professional career ever up until this point. And I think when leaders advocate for their people that way and come from this posture of forness. it's really beautiful. I think people then experience that and that does an inviting of really leveraging the coaching work, them even being for their supervisor, for the company, for their teammates, for the people that they're leading. And a leader is bringing in a coaching team like they're putting money down. They're making an investment in being for their people. And I think that that speaks really loudly to the people in their organization.
1: The one thing I'll say is, is I'll speak specifically to to Novus Global. As I say, we are a different type of experience. And I don't say that because just from a place of self-aggrandizing, like, look at us. This has been over and over again. It's been my personal experiences. And then every company that we've worked with, all the individuals, we go like, mm-hmm. we haven't seen anything like this. There's lots of coaching that's going to help us get results and help us increase our productivity and do all the things. And all of those, I would say, are a lot of the assumptions that we have to hack our way through <laughs> sometimes when we initially engage with a client at a team level, that once they experience it, they go, mm-hmm. there is a." Exhale of invalid performance. I guess like there's performing for somebody saying what they want to just to get the right answer instead of giving the real answer that can actually transform things. And so I'll say, just for us, there's a bit of a difference, I think, which is something I'm really proud to be a part of and honored to be on the team on this side Mm -hmm. of things. Going like it is a different experience that does yield all of the results that people hire us for, no doubt, but also the staff takes it home with them. I don't know. You guys can probably say just as much how many times it's affected my family, my kids, my, my relationships, my community. And yeah. and that's really special to me personally. I, I love that. That's what I have to add to all of the good things that you guys have already
2: said. That's good. That's so good, Chris. That's so good. I remember when I got into this work, I started alone and I knew right away that I would be better with others around me as much as that might create tension, difficult moments a conversation that has held true both for our organization but i know for organizations that are wanting to grow and the power of team and coaching of team is really the lifeblood of the future for uh, organizational flourishing so i want to thank all of you for your thoughts hopefully you'll join us next time
0: Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, that helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like this, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and remember, Dare to Go Beyond High Performance.